Hey y'all, welcome to Colored Couch Conversations, a podcast where I have intimate conversations with women of color on my couch. Today, we have a very special guest. We will talk about the relationship between the Black and Asian community, which is really important right now, um, and navigating the workplace during this time. I'm your host, Jasmine W., and... I know my guest very well, love her to death. Um, I was recently a guest on her career-related podcast called Feed Learning People Podcast. She and I worked together at CBS in the HR department, and she left her role in learning and development to found Feed Learning, which is a talent and organizational development consulting practice. She helps companies build sustainable teams through professional development training, one-on-one coaching, and HR process improvement strategies. She has a business management degree from U of H and an MBA business management and entrepreneurship from Seton Hall University. She, like my last guest, is also from Dallas, Texas. Hey, (laughs) give it up for Jesse Wynn. Hey, Jesse. Hey, hey, Jasmine. Um, Can I? It's actually Seton Hall. Oh, it's Seton Hall, girl. I don't know if you I, care. I listen. Seton Hall, Seton Hall. Where is it located? Uh, Orange, New Jersey. Orange. Okay. Oh, in New Jersey, in New Jersey. Okay, okay. Yeah, girl, educate me because uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's Seton Hall University. Oh, pardon me. We must get these. Um, collegiate names correct jazz uh <laughs> well jesse thank you so much for being on the podcast um i'm excited about this conversation oh me too i'm a little uh, nervous because uh, I'm, I'm used to being the interviewer and yeah. uh it's been a long time since i've been on this side of the conversation so well you'll be on this side a lot more um with everything that you have going on with your business and it's a much needed business right now actually so i hope you're excited about how badly companies will need you after everything that's going on so we always start the podcast with the quote of the day and you know this quote because you chose it it's people will forget what you said people will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel by the legendary Maya Angelou. Um, what does this quote mean to you? Yeah, um, the first thing that comes to mind is the word impression, like having a lasting impression on someone. Like even when you asked me to pick a quote, I was like, I remember that quote. And I was looking up online, what was the quote? I was looking up like, uh, I don't remember what you said. I don't remember what you did or, mm-hmm. or feel. So I don't even remember what the quote was about, but I remember what, how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the quote means to me is like, it's that impression that you leave on people. Yes, it's important what you say to them, what you do with them, but people won't remember exactly what the conversation was about or what you said that day or what you ate or what you saw. But they'll definitely remember how you made them feel. Did you make them feel angry or happy or did you want to punch them in the face or whatever it was? And uh, yeah, I I think every time I have an interaction with someone, that's what I try to do is leave some type of positive impression on them. Mm. And I think we learned that like working in HR too, because when you talk to people, a lot of times, as soon as you make them feel a certain emotion, they actually stop listening to what you're saying anyway. Yeah. You know, and you get mad. Mm Mm-hmm. You just close off. Yeah. And you just think about all the negative things about that person and you don't care what they say. Exactly. Exactly. Um, My next question for you about this quote was, when is the last time someone made you feel, period? And how did they make you feel? 
I'll give you two examples, one negative and one positive. Okay. I would say one negative is this was like 10 years ago when I was, when I was living in New York city and I was playing volleyball and there was this guy in the volleyball community. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was like playing favoritism to people a lot or, um, he was just, I just remember he was a dick. That's all I remember. I don't remember exactly what, but I just remember every time that I was around him, I would cringe or I would roll my eyes or just want to avoid him Mm -hmm. just because of whatever he said or did. Again, I don't remember much of it. So that was a a negative uh, example. And that was like 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, a more recent example that's positive, I would say, I have a couple friends here, Sean and Brian in San Francisco, and they're probably like the best things ever in San Francisco, these two guys. And for Mother's Day a few weeks ago, they came over, they drove over, they live about 20, 30 minutes away just to drive by in their mask because we're in quarantine mm-hmm. and yell out, hey, happy Mother's Day, like from, um, from outside. And I was just staying inside and looking down. And then... The following week, they came back for my birthday, and the same thing. They brought a cake for me. They just waited outside, just wanted to say happy birthday. Yeah. So it's just that positive experience, someone who's, like, super considerate and um, nice and, you know, they're just thinking about you, that's a lasting impression, and, and I think that's going to help me have a lasting friendship with them, too. Yeah. I don't know why I was on your podcast yesterday and I actually cried, which is not something that I do on podcasts or on camera in general. But even you telling me about your friends driving over, it makes me not want to cry, but it almost gives you that almost emotion because it's just like, that is just so amazing. And I saw that on your Instagram too. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yes. You're so thoughtful. You know, and to drive over and it's not even about like gifts or bringing anything or it's just to drive over to just be able to wave and see you hold your baby up to the window and just say happy Mother's Day. Yeah. It's so thoughtful, you know? Yeah, thoughtful. So that those type of people, when they're thoughtful, they're very considerate, it makes a lasting impression on me. And I think the those impressions, it de- depends on the person, what type of experience or what characteristics means positive or negative for you. So it depends on each person. And I think anyone who is super thoughtful and considerate and just... does small acts of kindness, um, those type of actions really leaves a positive lasting impression on me. Yeah, it does. It does. Okay. Well, we always have a segment that we start off with. It's called Random Questions. And this is just something about me. I don't know. I, I This is how I get to know people. This is how I've always gotten to know people, just asking them random things, you know? So this is an opportunity for us to get to know you a bit. And the first question I have is, um, you know, you know, one thing about Jessie, she has a, a young baby and she has, she's married, right? So if you have two hours to yourself, what do you do? Like, how do you spend that time? Okay, I'm gonna give you a, a lame answer. Um, sleep, is, is, that, is that lame? Yes. <laughs> that That's all I can lame. think of. You, okay, so I'll give you some context. You know that I have a, a nine month old right now. And since we're in quarantine, my husband, he's working like nine to five back-to-back meetings. I'm running my own business at home. My nine-month-old has a growth spurt right now. So she's eating like a pig and she's waking up more, you know, multiple times in the night and she's running around and getting into trouble. So I have to watch her because daycares are closed, right? Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, we're actually 
going to move back to Brooklyn in a couple of weeks. So I'm packing up the house. So, you know, not much time. So uh, sleep would be nice. But okay, okay, okay. I'll give you a less lame answer. Yeah, yes, please, because like if you if you're wide awake, you know, and you have two hours, or if, if or if your husband said, you know, you guys are let's say you're in Brooklyn already and you're settled in, and you have an afternoon, like two hours on a Sunday, to yourself, how would you spend that time? Binge watch Netflix or um, maybe start plucking my eyebrows that I haven't plucked in a while. Oh my gosh, girl. <laughs> or I'll watch Netflix while plucking my eyebrows because I like to be very efficient. And right, like, right. Get a lot of things done. Is that okay. still lame? That's lame, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> somebody's going to agree with you on the sleep stuff. Somebody's going to agree with you on the sleep. Okay, um, okay. Okay, so your ba- your background, Jesse, is Vietnamese. Um, have you ever experienced racism um, or prejudice as a Vietnamese woman? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say multiple times, but one, um, like growing up as a kid, like kids would say like ching chong wing wong to me or something like that, right? Say racial slurs. Um, but one that stood out the most was when I was, I think I was about 20 years old or so. Um, I was living in Houston, Texas at the time. And one of my first jobs after graduating, graduating college was being a, um, being part of a, let me say that again. One of my first jobs after graduating college was being part of a management training program with HEB grocery stores. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In Houston, they're, they're big in Houston. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly like, it's like a regional chain of grocery stores in South Texas. And I was part of their, I was part of their management training program. And part of this program, you have to go on different assignments in different stores. So they assigned me to a store in Brenham, Texas. Do you know Brenham? Girl, no. Okay. And it sounds like I'm not about to want to know Brenham either, but keep going. (laughs) Brenham, Texas is like maybe an hour and a half west of Houston, Texas. And it's like kind of out in the boonies and it's like a very white town, maybe population 1000. And like the store manager at HEB, I think he was going to run for mayor of the town and stuff. It's oh, like a small Lord. town, right? So I'm like the only Asian person there at the store. So kind of feeling uncomfortable already. Mm-hmm. But um, so one of my assignments there was to be a front end manager. And a front end manager is someone who oversees like the cashiers, the baggers, the parking lot attendants. And there was one day when a cashier called me because he was having issues with his register and the receipt tape was jamming. So as a manager, I had to go up there and like kind of help him out. And the first thing I did was like apologize to the customer and mm-hmm. the customers, there were two, there, there was a, an old man and a woman white, and they were probably in their sixties or so. So I apologized to them and I was trying to fix the register and it wasn't working. And like the customer, the, the guy, he was like really mad and frustrated and very impatient. Yeah. Um, and more impatient and frustrated than normal, I would say. Yeah. And I kept apologizing to him. And like probably after a minute, he's like, just stop. I just want to go to customer service. So I walked him to customer service and I told the customer service rep just the situation about the register not working. And then I left the, the customers there so they can do their thing. And um, in the back of my mind, I was like, why the heck is he so angry? It's just, you know, a register issue. And then a week later, I got a call from the corporate office at HEB. Wow. And 
yeah, I was like, what's going on? And apparently the customer had filed a complaint on me and it escalated all the way to the corporate office. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And the leader, she was a, a VP who talked to me. She was actually an Asian lady. And mm. she told me, you know what? It turns out that this customer, he was a Viet- Vietnam vet, a war vet, and uh, he didn't like Asian people. He didn't like Vietnamese people. So that's why he was giving you a hard time. So at that time, like it didn't really bother me. It didn't phase me because I was like, okay, that's his problem. Like, right. okay, you're, you're a racist or whatever. So, okay, whatever. I, you know, I can, I have thick skin. I can not care about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that VP, she also, I remember her saying something like, Hey, this just, this happens all the time. So if you need someone to talk to call me mm-hmm. and again, I was like, okay, sure. Thanks. But it didn't really hit me or phase me until maybe like 10, 20 years later, until like now mm-hmm. when everything is going on in the world right now. And I'm thinking more about racism and I'm like, wow, I was a part of it. You know, this, it happened to me. I didn't understand how important it is to speak up until more recently. I'll be honest with that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I used to be, I used to be someone who was very complicit and would not speak up because racism didn't really affect me or I, I felt like it had no impact on me. I'm bigger than that. But I realized recently that, Hey, you know, we, it impacts all of us, even if it's indirectly and we have to help each other out. So, yeah. That's an example of racism. I have a question. I have a question for you about um, that experience too, because he said, "Okay, he's a Vietnam War vet." Yeah. Do you think that he knew you were Vietnamese? I don't know. I don't know if he he just did it for Asians, or Vietnamese, or maybe I said, "Oh, I don't remember," because on my name tag, it says like Jessica, Mm -hmm. but it also says I speak Vietnamese because you usually have if you have a second language so I think uh, this is like oh no I think Vietnamese so um, I think that's why he knew Mm. do you get upset Um, is it offensive when people suggest that you might be Chinese or Japanese heck yeah definitely yeah yeah yeah. like I I get that um, a lot when I'm you know going out in the restaurants and you know they they they'll go up to me and they say, ni hao, which is like, hello in Chinese. Like, hey, I'm Vietnamese. I don't speak. I, I know they're trying to be nice and trying to start a conversation with me, but I'm not <laughs> Chinese. And it's yeah. usually older white men who yeah. come up to me and say that. Yeah. And I asked you that specifically because, you know, my, I, I feel like when black people are experienced prejudice, we know off bat, but you said that you've also experienced like prejudice, racism a couple of times, but I would argue that every time somebody came up to you and said, ni hao, that that's prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't I know. Agree. It's just, you learn at a, I guess my generation, our generation, we learn at an early age that it is not, you don't classify Asian people because you may not know if you're not an expert, you know what I mean? and you're not able to tell by looking at someone, then you just say that they're Asian. You know, you don't make assumptions about people's nationality, you know, where they might be from, if you don't know. 
So I would say that every time somebody comes up to you and makes an assumption about you like that, that that is also prejudice. Would you? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I definitely agree. I, I would say growing up, I didn't find it as prejudice because I, I think I didn't know better. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I see how there's a lot of disparity and, you know, there's um, with what's going on that I, I find it very uh, something that's prejudiced and stereotypical and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I had another question for you. Um, have you ever dated somebody or been on a date with somebody and then realized, or maybe had a feeling that they were dating you because you were Asian or had like a little fetish or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, I dated a few people who later on, uh, I think they only dated me because I was Asian. And I found out, I think oh, that's a thing. That's a thing, right? In Asian it's a woman thing. fetish, right? It's a thing. <laughs> How did you find this out, Jesse? It's like Facebook. Like one, one you, you ask about like the dating history or their experience and stuff. And yeah. You know, they tell me, oh, it's Asian, 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 Asian person. Or you look at their Facebook and all they, all their friends are Asian. So all the girls that they are in pictures with are Asian. So I didn't know if they liked me for me or because I was Asian. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think people also get upset, like in in the black community, it's a thing like when um, I don't think black women get upset when black guys date out of, outside of their race. I think that we call out a problem when that's all that you date. You know, when you say, oh, I only date white women. Oh, I only date Asian women. Why would you only date one type of woman? Yeah. Like there are good care, there are good, beautiful, like fun women in every, you know, from everywhere. So when you say, oh, I only date Asian girls, it's like, that's weird. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you a story about unless you're Asian, by the way. <laughs> if you Asian and you only date Asian girls, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, if okay, so that's that was me growing up. Like growing up, I made a list of the only people I would date. It is sad. I, I'm embarrassed to share this, but it's like I would only date Vietnamese. I would only date someone who was Catholic. I would only date someone who is smart and all that stuff. But it had to be Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I think for me, I'm pretty big for a Vietnamese person, a, a Vietnamese female. I'm like five seven, and uh, most Vietnamese girls are probably like five feet or yeah. so. And uh, growing up, it was hard for me to find anyone, any Vietnamese guy that was tall enough for me <laughs> as well. So, so I had a hard time finding anyone who was Vietnamese to date me. So I ended up dating, you know, out my race and stuff. Yeah. Um, so. Um, and once I started dating outside my race, I was like, so much better. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it's like, there's, there's so much more out there than yeah. just a Vietnamese person. So um, I, I get it when people say, hey, just date within your race because you want to keep your culture alive and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But also at the same time, find that it can be very closed minded. You're, you're not seeing people for who they are and you're missing out on a lot. Yeah, you're missing out. And, you know, I say the exact same thing. If you are Jewish and you only want to date a Jewish woman, a Jewish guy or black and you only want to date. I totally understand that. Respect that, you know, Um, because you do want to keep I understand how important it is to keep your language alive, to keep your culture alive and all of that. But you are missing out on other people who could love you and care for you um, just the same as somebody who's from your own race. So 
I absolutely um, agree. And it's my husband. He's white. He's learning Vietnamese. Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He reads to my daughter these Vietnamese books every night. So do you speak to your daughter in Vietnamese? Yeah, yeah. I okay. Try as much as possible in Vietnamese. And okay, good. So does my husband. It's kind of broken Vietnamese. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. I had a friend growing up who learned she was half white, half Spanish, and her dad only spoke Spanish to her growing up only. And it kind of stayed that way. And her mom only spoke English. And that's how she was able to be so easily bilingual. So um, that's dope. Um, Okay. So my next question is, uh, what's the last thing you cooked? I don't even know if you cooked. That's why I thought this would be a great question. What is the last thing you cooked? Okay, I'm going to preface my answer by saying I, I think I'm a pretty decent cook. I, 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 I cook a lot, uh, both American and Vietnamese or different cuisines. But the last thing I cooked was actually last night. Um, because we are moving soon, so I'm trying to get rid of all the foods that we have. And we have a lot of angel hair pasta. Yeah. So um, I kind of put – I was just going to cook pasta. I kind of put too much pasta – and too little water. Like I put two boxes of pasta in water. Yeah. I basically have a clump of pasta right now in my fridge. You didn't stir it or? I, I did stir it and you know, I tried to add oil and butter to make it like not stick as much, but because yeah. it's so much pasta and not enough water, it gets very starchy. Yeah. And uh, plus the baby was crying, so I had to go get her. So I wasn't able to finish it. and. It's a clump. Nobody's eating that, Jesse. Throw that out. Um. <laughs> I told myself I'm going to eat it, but I probably end up won't. Yeah, you're not going to eat that, girl. Throw that out. You, it's, it's, it's done. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about some trending topics. That's going to include, you know, um, the relationship between Asian and Black community. Um, we're going to talk about everything that's happening with the riots. Um, or not the riots. Let me say everything that's happening in regards to the protests after the death of George Floyd. And we're going to talk about some work stuff, some hostility in the workplace. So this is going to be good. Let's take a break and we'll come right back. Hey y'all, welcome back to Colored Couch Conversations. I'm your host, Jasmine W., and my guest is Jessie Nguyen. Um, she is the founder of Feed Learning, which is a talent and organizational development consulting practice. If you, or if you think you need her, or if your company needs her, um, there'll be more information um, under the description in this podcast on how to reach her and all of that. But now we're gonna talk about some trending topics. The first one is, Everyone seems to be making an effort towards inclusivity and the Black Lives Movement is just, you know, all these brands are coming out and talking about what they're going to do and their goals after the recent global protests, you know. Um, How are your group of friends reacting to this or even your family members reacting to this? Because I feel like there's so many people from different backgrounds, white people, brown people on my timeline speaking out for the first time, you know, and, you know, willing to step up and, 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 and back black, which I've never seen this in this capacity before. So how are your group of friends and your family reacting? 
Yeah, it's um, it's something that I am actually proud to talk about now that they're reacting in a very positive way. Um, so a little bit of context, most of my friends are Vietnamese or either uh, Chinese Vietnamese or the Asian community, right? Mm -hmm. And growing up, we would be very silent. Like if something was wrong, something was not right, you just stay silent and you just do your own thing. You work hard so that you can get where you need to be, kind of like the whole American dream thing. Mm -hmm. But lately what I'm seeing on my social media and all my friends and family I'm following, people are speaking up. And I read somewhere online how like everyone has their own lane on how they support Black Lives Matter. Like if you're you know, educating yourself or you're donating. And I'm seeing that within my family and friends where some people are like donating to the NWACP Defense Fund or ACLU and stuff. So they're donating. Or mm -hmm. I have a cousin who um, started buying books on like white privilege or like, you know, anti-blackness and all that stuff about the system of oppression. So she's educating herself and other people are just sharing and posting articles and um, others are protesting. So like everyone has their own lane yeah. and it makes me happy to see that because these are people that who typically don't voice their opinion at all. And they right. are voicing opinion. And, um, and furthermore with myself, I recently started to create this training called mitigating unconscious bias for a client a couple of months ago. And this was very timely too. And while doing my research, I was like, why am I just keeping all this information to myself and for the client? So I decided to start posting what I was learning on my Instagram stories. Yeah, I've been and reading I'm, those. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping people are you know, learning more about like microaggressions and privileges and stereotypes and the system of oppression and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how we're responding. And I'm really happy to see people speaking up and voicing their opinion and not staying silent. Yeah. And I talked about this as a on your podcast, too. Like, I think a lot of times people feel overwhelmed or like they might not be doing enough. But posting to your community, talking to your people first about these issues and, you know, just having that open dialogue is to me the very first step to to actually taking action, you know, and people might say, oh, that ain't enough or that's too small or whatever. But, you know, it starts at home and we say that with everything else. And it, we need to say that with, you know, um, like systematic racism and the way that we think about other people, too. So it's one of the reasons I started this podcast. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I agree with what you said about it starts at home. I even talked to my brother about it. And my brother, he also was the type that just sticks to himself. He's like, it's not my problem. You know, I don't need to deal with it. But when I started sharing with him, like the research and what I'm learning, he actually called me the other day and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling a little like frustrated and confused. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he feels, he said that he feels like he's playing a part of this whole systematic uh, systemic racism mm -hmm. by not speaking up, by not doing, you know, anything about it. And it was based off of the article that I shared on uh, my social media and he read it. Yeah. But he felt frustrated and confused because he's not doing what he should be doing. And he even asked me, Hey, what, what are some things or what are some books you think I should check out? What are some things that I can do to just get the conversation started? Because I want to figure out what I can do, what role I play in this. Yeah. So I kind of gave him some things that he should check out, like reading on the system of oppression and 
um, all that stuff. So that's dope. I love that. Um, this question is very interesting because to be honest, to be completely honest, before we had this conversation, um, I knew that you're Vietnamese, but I didn't think about the Vietnamese war before this conversation. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the the trending topic that I want to talk about is many black people feel like they haven't been treated the greatest, you know, by the elder Asian community. Um, you know, when I think the initial thing when black people, well, first of all, black people don't feel like Asian people speak out enough. Uh, they say, you know, we're people of color when we're talking about inclusivity, but it's separate whenever we're talking about racial issues, you know, when we should stick together. Um, and the reason I brought up the Vietnam War is because to me, if there was a war against my people, there, sh- there would be some animosity there between me and American people, you know? It's like the Vietnam War, look what we did to Vietnam, you know what I mean? So as a, when you come here and you're Vietnam, Vietnam it, when you come here and you're Vietnamese, that relationship between American people might be a little bit awkward to me if it was my experience. I don't know if that's your experience. I'm just trying to guess, you know? But, um, you know, that also, all of this affects our relationship, the relationship between Americans and Vietnamese people who are from Vietnam, which might be your grandparents, could be your parents, you know? And then that relationship with the black community. So what has your experience been between um, like the elders in your family and the relationship with American people first and black people here in America? You know, do you, do they have animosity towards American people in general or black people? You know, do you have older people in your family who are racist? Yeah. Oh, uh, where do I start? I know that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think when it comes to like the Vietnam war, that's something that I need to educate myself more to Vietnamese. Like I, I yeah. need to know more about it, but I know everyone's experience is different from the Vietnam War. So some people don't, some Vietnamese people have some animosity towards the Americans, Mm -hmm. but other people, like I know like my dad, he is kind of thankful for the American experience that he's having right now. So Mm -hmm. there's not that much animosity there. Um, So from my understanding, it's a lot of immigrant families from Vietnam who came over to the States. We are thankful for the privileges that we have we're thankful for the opportunities that we have to build Mm -hmm. a new life here okay so in that sense i think they like america in terms of prejudices against black americans or the black community yeah growing up i was taught that black people are you know different they're another race they um, you don't date black people, that kind of stuff. And it's not like my parents only, it's the whole community. So I grew up in um, a Vietnamese Catholic community. I used to go to church all the time and uh, go youth group with all these kids. And like, if you found out that someone was dating a black person, like everyone knew about it. Yeah. I remember there was a time that a parent came up to me because I was friends with her daughter who was dating a black guy and she came up to me and she's like, Hey, can you, can you persuade her to, to dump him, to not go out with him anymore? Like Mm. that's the type of stuff that would, you know, be told to me or like um, that we had to go through in the Vietnamese community or like if a, there was someone who had, um, who had a child, she was a teenager and she got pregnant as a teenager with a black 
boy, mm-hmm. everyone at church knew about it as well. So yeah, there's, there are prejudices against the black community um, in the Vietnamese community. And I think in any, any community as well. Yeah. With that, to me, that as uh, that's overwhelming, you know? So how do you, when you grew up with these sort of prejudices, how do you even go about, you know, changing your mindset? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. So, so when I was doing this whole research about mitigating conscious bias and learning about the system of oppression, there was, um, there's this model um, called the cycle of socialization and it's by Bobby Harrow. And it talks about how when we were younger, our first socialization were our parents. They like taught us everything. They taught us how to behave, how to think. And they taught us things like, yeah, you know, watch out for black people. You might, you can't trust them or, you know, watch out for white people. You can't trust them, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And um, we're so young and we depend on our parents to teach us what's right and wrong. And we unconsciously conform to their views because we we can't think for ourselves. We can't question them and say, Oh, what you're saying is wrong. Like we don't know any better. And then um, as adults now, um, now that we can independently think for ourselves, now we know, okay, this is wrong. We can't yeah. do this. We need to speak up. But some people don't speak up because they may lose the privileges that they have, or mm. other people don't speak up because you may be called the troublemaker if you speak up or go against the status quo. So I think that's all part of this system of oppression that we need to educate ourselves on and how to take action. Yeah. So it's all about being able to take risks within your own community. If you grew up with that community to speak up. Yeah. You definitely have to take risk. Like, like growing up, I could not speak back to my parents. That would be so disrespectful, Mm -hmm. but now I'm starting to, and you just, you have to think of the greater good, the greater cause and what, what you're doing it for. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It is a very uncomfortable conversation to have. Yeah. But you have to push through that discomfort in order to get to the other side. Yeah. You know, one thing that annoys me that this made me think of, like I've been seeing all the videos of like young white girls and particularly talking back to their parents. They're turning the camera on themselves and they're having this dialogue with their parents about racism and they're arguing like, no, I know black people. What I'm seeing is wrong. And I love these videos because it's honest. And you know what? I think a lot of times when people have racist parents or grandparents, they are ashamed. So they lie and say, no, nah, nobody in my family's racist. You a lie? I know you lying. Like, how can that even be? Your grandfather's probably racist. Like, he, if your grandfather is 80, mm-hmm. come on, what did he Most do? Most likely they're racist. <laughs> right. You yeah. know? Yeah. And I think people are so ashamed to admit it. And the first step to me is just like any other addiction, <laughs> admitting that your your parent, your people in your family are racist. That's the first thing. And then I had a friend who say, who said that, oh, well, I disowned my parents because they were Trump supporters, or I don't talk to my parents because they're racist. Yeah. It's, it's fine to limit your, in my opinion, it's fine to limit your conversations or even limit what you discuss with your family, but I don't think it's right to disown your family because of things that they believe in. I think it's right to argue with them and disagree with them. But I just thought it was so weird when a girl told me that she disowned her parents because they're Trump supporters. I'm like, you've been knowing your parents. You grew up with them. 
Yeah. And now you decide to not talk to them because of something that you've known about them your whole life. You don't have to agree with them by having them be your parents and love them. You know what I mean? So I think that's also a misconception. Like they can still be your parents and you can still love them and disagree. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's going to be uncomfortable living with them or, or talking to them, but yeah, they're, they're still your family. And it's important to still have that conversation because if you just cut them off, then you're not really fixing any problem there. Um, right. I realize that. And then going back to what you said about how some people won't admit that they have family members who are racist. I think also I find that hard sometimes to say, Hey, I have family members who are racist because you're kind of speaking on their behalf and it's like your family's mm-hmm. reputation there. Mm, you yeah. want to, you don't want to ruin your family's image by saying, Hey, we have someone who is, is not good in this bunch, you know? So I think that's why it's hard to mention that. And you were telling me, which is something that I didn't know that, you know, in your community, reputation is very important. So that's probably, you know, the, to give people background, we were talking about this on her podcast it's like reputation is important. So if you come out and say my family's racist, that gives your family a bad reputation. So it's also a cultural thing that we also need to acknowledge, you know? Um, and that's good. I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, also just a little tip. If you ever get your nails done, Jasmine, at a nail salon, because it's mostly Vietnamese people, mm-hmm. they say, Gone guy, me, Dan, they're talking about you. Just give me your heads what up. What that mean? It means black girl. Gone guy, me, Dan. Yeah, they're say talking it again. about you. Gone guy, me, Dan. Gone guy, me, Dan. Gone guy is like girl. Me, Dan is black American. Me, Dan, black American. Oh, okay. Girl, tell, tell me when she say, uh, what's ugly? Because I need to know that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so? So is, yeah, so. They're so? not going to say that about you. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never going to know that. So, so is just one of those English words that you just, you know, you use it so often that that's one that you could just miss. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, it's, that's, I'm never going to know that. But they are, it's pretty. So, you know. Oh yeah. I think I've heard that. Okay. I think I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, this is a really great question too. Um, as a strategist for companies on organizational development, how do you imagine this will change your scope of work or, you know, what businesses need from you? Like, it'd be good to hear like a little bit about what businesses ask you to do now and how you feel like that might be tweaked. Yeah, um, I think so. The businesses, what they're asking me to do now is most like professional development training from like how to be a manager, how to resolve conflict, presentation skills, or they'll help me, um, they'll ask me to help them with process improvement strategies, like how to create a recruitment department and all that stuff. I think how it's going to change now is they'll probably ask me for more training specifically on mitigating unconscious bias about diversity and inclusion. And I think they'll also probably want to build a more, um, build programs and initiatives in regards to diversity and help them create a culture of inclusion and belonging where people can show up uh, being their authentic self and impacting work and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's how it's going to change, but I don't know if companies will really do that. Like, I think a lot of companies, especially old school companies, they have more other priorities than diversity. Like revenue. 
<laughs> like revenue. Yeah. How to make money. Although diversity impacts and helps out with financial outperformance. Exactly. We know the more diverse your company is, typically the higher their revenue, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of companies, like old school companies, they won't really do much. Mm. Companies who really want an image and really want to look good, they're going to probably require everyone to take mitigating unconscious bias training. And they're just going to check the box. And a lot of companies will just do that, just check the box and make it look like, hey, we're, we're you know, fighting this fight for diversity. Um, but I think what companies really need to do is implement different programs and initiatives throughout the whole cycle of employment, like from recruiting to hiring, to develop them, to retain them. What are some ways that we can structure it in a way to mitigate bias and not let bias seek in? Mm, yeah, that's great. So I think my, my job will be to educate a lot of people on why diversity is important though. And you know, we're so thankful for that. You know, a lot of times when people, um, people don't understand how good HR teams and good organizational development teams have such a positive impact on what, you know, recruiting and hiring looks like, which means success within any community, you know, with success within all of our uh, colored communities. So. I'm excited about uh, about people who do that work, you know, and do it well, not just anybody. I, I do it well. I, we know. <laughs> we know, girl. I know. You wouldn't even be on this podcast if you didn't do it well. Trust me. <laughs> um, okay. Well, one thing that's kind of that's kind of funny that was trending. Uh, Leah Michelle. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, she came out and she spoke out about, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And then one of her co-stars named Jordan actually came out and spoke out about her. She was trending on Twitter. And she said, actually, when I worked with you on set, um, you made my life a, a living hell. And she even, Leah Michelle actually even said that she wishes that she could poop in her wig was the comment that she made about this this black girl. So a lot of times, you know, people are are feeling right now, well, I work with somebody who I think is, you know, hostile towards me or prejudiced towards me. How do you, what's your advice on like people of color, of any color handling those relationships or handling maybe somebody in the workplace who is not very nice to them and they might know why it might be because they feel it's prejudice or racism. Let's say, you are this person's like manager or business leader. You know what I mean? How do you handle it when an employee comes to you and says, I'm experiencing something in a workplace that I don't think is right? Like what, what's your advice? Yeah, I definitely would listen to them, kind of hear, uh, hear them out, kind of get some observable facts or behaviors of what the other person did to make you feel a certain way. And then it's a lot of just talking to not only the person who felt affected, but the person who affected them and kind of mitigating that whole issue. Mm. At the same time, coming from a, a business perspective, I'll share with you what I see most companies doing mm. and what I would do. So let's say that this, they found out that this person like Leah Michelle blatantly said something that was offensive, right? Most companies, uh, I see what most companies do is if that person is top talent and hey, they're bringing in a lot of revenue, what they'll do is basically like slap the person's hand and make them take a training and say, mm -hmm. I, I, I checked the box. This person um, you know, did something wrong and 
Now we fix the problem by having them go through a training. And then also we're going to get our PR team to write out this nice message and massage the message to say, she somewhat apologizes, but really doesn't directly apologize. And it's not really her fault, but it's all of our faults. We, all of us need to do something about this. Right? So I see that's what companies do just to save face. Mm -hmm. If it was my company, I'd fire her. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's like zero tolerance. A lot of companies say it's a zero tolerance policy if you were to act a certain way, if you were to discriminate. It, they don't follow that policy, right? Yeah. I would fire the person because if you really want to make a statement to change and break the cycle of systemic racism, you have to do something about it. Mm. Let her go. Let her I don't go. care how much money you bring because if you keep these people in here who continue to act in this certain type of behavior, it's going to kill the whole morale of the rest of the team. Yeah. And it doesn't help anyone. It's true. And when that person gets fired, think about how good everybody else on the team is going to feel. It's like, man, my boss handled that shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you don't handle it and everyone's, again, low morale, they feel like, you know, the manager doesn't have their back. Mm -hmm. Why should I care about my job anymore if you're not caring about me? Mm, that is so good. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about someone who was recently fired for speaking out. So we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Colored Couch Conversations. We are now in the Keep It Real corner where we give advice to our listeners. Anyone who's willing to write in to me, this is actually someone who really is having this issue. Um, I posted, Jesse, that you were going to be um, on the podcast and somebody wrote in a friend of a friend of a friend. They reached out to me and sent me an email and they said they were recently called out um, they recently called out their company. They went to their manager and called out their company for a toxic, racist environment, and they were fired. I know you don't know the backstory here, and just to let y'all know, as a previous HR person, there's so many variables that can happen here. Um, but you know, what's some high-level advice for this person that you can give them? Yeah. Um, first of all, there's a no retaliation policy, and that part. Yeah, right. You shouldn't be retaliating. Um, companies should not be retaliating. That's like, I believe, a federal law. But they always find a way to somehow make it sound like they're not retaliating. So just that's one part there. Uh, just to keep it real with this person, like, I wonder, how was your performance before this all happened? Like, were you... Were you getting written up for like performance wise? Like, did you not meet your sales that, you know, quotas or whatnot? And were you just bringing this up and calling your company out for that toxic racist environment as like a last resort because you know you're gonna get fired so you're trying to keep your job? That's mm -hmm. what I'm thinking right now mm -hmm. um, for this person since I don't have too much context. Um, so if that's the case, you wanna kind of figure out what was the actual reason that you got fired, right? Was it performance or was it because you uh, said that the company was toxic and racist? Um, another thing is when you got fired, I hope you still are in the job or not cut ties yet because you need to figure out 
why exactly you got fired. Like, Mm -hmm. did they say you were fired because you brought this up because you brought up the company was toxic racist? Most likely not. Did they fire you because of your performance? Like you have to have a reason why you were fired. Mm -hmm. Um, I would also get a lawyer. Let's say that you believe that you were fired and you were retaliated against and you have like a lot of documented proof. You talk to people that, hey, this wasn't, this is not right. They did something wrong to me. I would get a lawyer to kind of walk you through your options of what you can do. Mm-hmm. I really hesitate about being litigious, about like filing a lawsuit, because if you do go against a company and file a lawsuit, it's really a long drawn out process. I'm not mm-hmm. a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding, it's a long drawn out process and your name is out there in public. So do yeah. you want to go through all of that? Right. Um, so think about that. And then also typically when a company fires you for something and it's like a touchy subject, it's not really performance, but you know, you brought something up that maybe bite the company in the butt later, they usually give you a severance package mm. and they usually give you like money to leave. And if you sign it, then you're basically signing and waiving your rights to sue them in the future or talk shit about them. Right. If that's the case and you really want that money, I would negotiate, get more money out of them. Like, yes, even more money from them, too. That's actually a that's a really good point right there that I didn't even think about. Negotiate that severance because and read it thoroughly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely negotiate that severance. So it it depends which what action you want to take. Do you want to sue them and you know go through all that trouble, um, or if you just want to stay quiet, then you you know you would um, sign a severance and take that money. But you can still talk to your friends about it. Probably you know mm-hmm. you might not you can't say it in all in public, but you can kind of let people know your experience on it, maybe a smaller scale. I think I, I'm not sure about all the laws there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those, those are some things I would think about, but definitely figure out exactly why you got fired. Exactly. Yeah. And remember, Jesse and I, we aren't, we aren't lawyers. So none of this is legal advice. Yes. Thank you. Uh- <laughs> Thanks for saying that. <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I, the person is actually supposed to, get back to me with more info and I want to see you know if they actually even get back to me so that I can provide you know a little bit more guidance where I can but um you know this is why whenever you're experiencing any sort of racism or you know toxicity even though that word is overused in the workplace you know what I mean you have to document it if you talk to your manager about it say send your manager an email, BCC yourself, your personal email. I know people tell you don't do that. I don't care. I'm telling you, I ain't a lawyer. This is my personal opinion. BCC yourself and say, thank you so much for talking to me about what I'm experiencing at work. I appreciate you for taking the time. You, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we actually get to the bottom of this or get to actually look into this X, Y, and Z, you know what I mean? And your manager probably not going to reply to your email, but that's fine because you sent it, you know? Yeah, I absolutely oh. agree about the document documentation part. You have to have some type of trail, either it be like an online digital trail or a paper trail that says the date that you talked to someone, who was involved in this conversation, what exactly was said, what did you hear, what did you do? Um, and then 
I like how you said like BCC or CC, at least someone else has a, a proof of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe even tell your employees, like you need also witnesses too, so that you yeah. have some support and backup. Yeah. yeah. Cry at your desk. So some people next to you can see you and say, what's wrong? I'm experiencing something. You know what I mean? And <laughs> go from there. So, Jesse, I really appreciate you so much for being a guest. I think this is, I'm so, so happy with this episode. I hope people listen to it. I'm going to jam it down people's throats because everything, (laughs) everything we talked about is something people need to hear. So, you know, what are you working on right now? How can we keep, um, how can we keep up with you? Tell us, plug yourself. Oh, man, I'm not good at plugging myself. All right. Uh, Feedlearning.com. So, F-E-E-D, learning.com. So I will um, continue to post some free online resources for job seekers and people who want to professionally develop as well. So I have some resources for them. Also have a podcast called Feed Learning People Podcast, where people talk about their careers and how they navigated um, different sticky, sticky situations throughout their careers. And Jasmine is going to be on episode eight coming out soon. Um, and then what I'm working on is I'm going to continue working on this mitigating unconscious bias training. And I've been finding this as more of like a passion of mine to mm. speak up more and participate more in social um, justice uh, forums. And I know my mother-in-law, she actually is looking to get her alma mater. Um, she went to an Ivy school, mm. Ivy league school to make a requirement to take a class about how to break systemic racism before you graduate. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I think, isn't that like a bold statement that, right? for schools to do that? That's that. And that's amazing that we're having somebody use it, their privilege, their connection, their network to drive their school to do that. That's dope. Yeah. So I think um, I want to do something like that. Maybe, help with the education system, maybe even help teachers and learning more about this, you know, these matters. Um, And not only businesses, because I think it starts when we're very young. So the earlier we can talk about it, I think it'll be better for all of us. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, Okay. Well, y'all listen, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on the platform you're listening to right now. And if you loved our uh, conversation on Colored Couch Conversations, make sure to tell someone about the show. Do not be selfish, okay? You can follow us on Instagram at Colored Couch Conversations and watch the show on my YouTube channel. That's Comedian Jasmine W on YouTube, spelled J-A-Z-M-Y-N. Thanks to my dad. Uh, And we will see y'all next week.